I'm Mark Gagan, and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast. Today's special guests are technology entrepreneurs looking to digitize and revolutionize the reinsurance marketplace. Their radical free-to-use platform has the goal of making the cumbersome submission and placement process pain-free for practitioners. But with these two, there's a big difference. Both Jared Lee and Ben Rose of Superseed gave up successful careers in the underwriting, broking and advisory side of reinsurance to found their business. Past attempts at reinsurance platforms have tended to focus on getting the boardrooms of the biggest players signed up and mandating usage on the ground. But as former practitioners, their focus is on solving the problems of the individual users themselves. As we move to an expense-conscious world where big IT spend for no discernible competitive gain is no longer a boast, but potentially a source of embarrassment, their free and fully independent model is a compelling one. In this special episode, we naturally go for a whirlwind tour of the Supersede product offering, but we stay much longer and get to the heart of what these two founders think the reinsurance market of the future is going to look like, and their part in enabling it. Not only are Ben and Jared exceptionally bright, they're excellent company. I highly recommend listening to what they've got to say. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, Ben and Jared. Thank you so much for supporting The Voice of Insurance. Why don't we start off by you telling a bit about yourselves and outlining the vision you had for Superseed and how you came to put this business together. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be on the show. Thank you for having us. This is Ben, by the way, Ben Rose, for the benefit of the audience listening at home. You'll recognize Jared from the, the more distinguished accent from the other side of the bond. So to your question, Mark, Jared and, and myself, we're, we're reinsurance people. And initially, Superseed was born from our own frustrations and experiences on the front line. And I think with those frustrations, the realization that if that user experience was ever going to get any better, it was probably going to take an independent company to bring everyone together around a shared solution. I think actually what gave us the confidence to go away and, and start a business and to actually build that independent company was the wide range of angles that between us we've seen the pain points from during our careers. For me, I started out at the Lloyds Corporation and uh, got that first-hand view of the challenges of building and innovating by consensus. Then after that, on the, on the front lines as an underwriter, I had that joy that we all know too well and spending way too much of our time rekeying, copying and pasting, or, or even as I remember having to actually tear off the binders manually from the paper submissions so that we could wedge them into the scanner. And then even after that, taking narrative up a level where I joined Aon and, and consulted for reinsurers and those group strategy teams, learning out how they thought about technology distribution and achieving that nirvana of uh, profitable growth, which is where I met Jared. Yeah, thanks, Ben. And thanks again, Mark, for having us on. My background is originally at Aon Benfield, working in their internal data and analytics and placing infrastructure teams. Eight years ago, then I moved over to London to work on Japanese reinsurance business from the broking side and got a firsthand look at the way we manage these really large, complex treaties and did that for a number of years before moving over to Inpoint where I met Ben. And then before moving on to Tiger Risk, where I worked on the innovation team, looking at things like B3I and PPL. So we had this really strong initial view of the problem statement from our own experiences. But before we set out to build anything, we knew we needed to expand our exposure to the market and did hundreds of interviews and workshops and calls and coffees and pints with seedants, brokers, and reinsurers from around the market, as well as with the support of groups like the under 35s here in London or the under 40s in the US and Bermuda, who 
looked at a lot of these same activities and problems that we were doing in our working lives and sort of thought, really? Like in every other area of our life, we do this so much better. When we go to look for hotels or flights or homes, there's just a better way for us to find and sort for better deals and find the right places to go. And we looked at, is there a better way for us to bring this into our own industry? And that's what we began to set out to do. Run me through how it exactly works and you know what the platform is and what it isn't. We have three key parts to supersede, analytics, placements, and network. So each of those bringing its own efficiencies to the value chain and, and a better UX for everyone. So to go through them quickly each in turn, Superseed Analytics is enabling seedants mostly and their brokers as well, depending on who has the responsibility to bring together the submission pack. We help that party to create digitized underlying submission data. So all the good stuff, the premium estimates, the rate changes, the loss runs, Bordero, limit profiles, triangles, etc. Getting that digital from the beginning with automated error checking, validation against prior years, so that Getting it right there means there's no more duplication by brokers and underwriters further down the chain who currently, as we know, spend way too much time building their own versions of all these same exhibits and and then repeating all of that checking again and again and again down the chain. So that's the analytics piece. The second piece, as I mentioned, is placements. This is our core placement platform. Uh, So it helps brokers really get that optimum balance of control and automation. So you as the broker still decide how you're going to market risks and layers and how you're going to issue signings. But we give you sort of superpowers to actually be able to act on those decisions instantly with automation. So during the process of the placement, we're doing all the tracking and chasing for you. When you're making a decision, we can fire out everything to all your markets instantaneously and organize everything for you across your layers and managing chat threads, et cetera, with all your different markets. I think really the objective with placements was having been there ourselves, taking care of all of the most time-consuming and least value-adding processes so that, for example, all the audit post-placement work is automatically done and dusted for you and giving you time to focus as the broker on doing what you do best and actually managing those placements and those relationships and letting your creativity in designing an effective deal run wild, really. And then finally, the third part, as I mentioned, is the supersede network, which is a really exciting proposition for underwriters and for brokers. So as a reinsurance underwriter, you're often sat waiting for deals and relying on going to conferences and going out traveling all over the place to develop business. Uh, but with the SuperSeed network, you can access business from anywhere in the world without having to invest in bricks and mortar, boots on the ground and clients entertainment. You simply set your appetite and then it's really easy for brokers to actually filter and search to find you. Or alternatively, you can even go out and search our marketplace for deals that brokers have posted teasers of in case they're in in need of extra interest or or would like to broaden their own panels. So analytics, placements and network, that is a sort of new superseed offering. So you had that tangible sense as practitioners of that frustration that there's a problem needs to be solved here, particularly how to get all this data into something presentable, something that underwriter can look at. So when did you actually get stuck into starting what has now become superseed? How long ago was that when you said, right, let's turn this into a business? Yeah, so we jumped out of our paid and happy careers. It was funny, it was a, a very challenging jump moment because I think Jared and I were both doing quite well with our existing jobs and there was, there was no obvious reason to leave. But eventually, I think we persuaded each other and, and our CTO, who was lined up to help us out, was persuaded as well that this was now at a stage. We had some fantastically supportive early angel investors from all over the industry as well who were 
keen to support us in, in what we were planning to do. So we jumped out and, and used some very early angel money to pay some developers to start building us things in around the early part of 2019. So that was when we could finally devote less than weekends and evenings to this side project and make it actually our full attention on solving this problem. And obviously we learned a huge amount along the way. I think initially from that point, we started down the route of how do we build a placing platform? Basically was, was the key initial aim. So the source of the problem, as far as we could tell, was that the brokers and some of the brokers had recognized it as well. The brokers were all using different systems to share deals. They were either using pure email. Let's hope they were using email. I know there are still examples out there of people sending around via courier or other physical means, but many brokers using emails plus an FTP site or a file transfer mechanism of some kind for the bigger files. Some brokers had built things in-house that they could use leading to many different fragmented systems trying to share these risks. And unfortunately, obviously at a time of year when they all come at once, right? So the poor underwriters sat now in a half digital world receiving loads and loads of different bits of information in, in tons of different systems. So we were determined to build a placing platform that any broker could use and any underwriter could use to send and receive these risks in a reinsurance bespoke format. So we, that was the initial aim. I think we moved very quickly on that initial, initial aim. So having launched in sort of the early part of 2019, we had it approved by Lloyd's in the early part of 2020 as a, a recognized e-placement platform for reinsurance, which was brilliant. So we could actually go out then to market and start working with brokers on, okay, how do we actually adopt this tool and use it instead of A, what we've got already, or B, instead of spending millions and millions and years and years trying to build the next hated platform that the underwriters are going to have to use as yet another offering uh, that probably doesn't give them quite what they want in terms of user experience for the modern day. Part of the journey started sooner than that, right when Ben had joined the Endpoint team, which I had also just joined a, a few months before. He had come from Lloyd's where he'd won in a competition around the early idea of a more connected product. And it was really fortuitous timing because both of us had come from our respective broker and underwriter roles. So as we were having these hypothetical conversations of what this might look like, we both very much bore the scar tissue of like, oh, when I was doing it, these are all the things that I didn't like. And conversely, so we always tackled it from the, if you were independently in the middle here, like what would make the broker's life amazing and what would make the underwriter's life amazing? And what is the juxtaposition of those two things that makes everybody happy? And, and it began to be a conversation that we had sort of from the very earliest days of our friendship where we'd go out for runs and talk about how this could evolve and everything else. So it became a very exciting part of the journey. And then over time, as Ben said, we eventually got from angel investors and market feedback and other things and started the journey. So you've gone on your two-year journey from absolute startup, and now you've got a product that you're really happy with that you're bringing to market, that you've branded, you're marketing, you're out there. Really, you've got something you're happy you really want to be able to sell now, supersede. What are its USPs? What's its special ingredients? And, and where is it going to succeed where perhaps other platforms of the past have come and gone? If we take a look at kind of the component parts of a placement, a lot of times the industry starts that at maybe even firmware terms. Sometimes they go as far back as quotes. And we take a different approach. We recognize that there's several months of work oftentimes that happens before the deal goes out, the sort of data preparation piece. And with some of our larger clients that can take for really big programs, several months of initial data requests and then the seeded read team trying to aggregate and bring the data all together. You're looking at premiums and loss runs and triangles and borderos and all these things. 
So for us at Superseed, our process starts there. And this is the analytics part of our proposition. We make it super easy for the students and their brokers to prepare the digital submission packs, automatically running them and validating them against last year's data, helping to identify any maybe errors or miskeyed data along the way. And then what we do is we then pass that into the end-to-end placement process. So it comes with the digital submission pack or digital data pack behind the scenes. And then what we're doing is we're connecting those structured placements, those structured programs to a worldwide community of counterparties. So the broker has much easier access to all of their markets, as well as the ability to manage the quotes more efficiently, manage the placement tracking, all those things that, that you and I, Mark, have done in spreadsheets where we're moving data from the email to the spreadsheet you know, on a nightly basis. We've sort of looked at that and gone, okay, we can radically improve the efficiency flow here. And for the underwriters, they're seeing deals from a variety of brokers increasingly more and more in the same place in a consistent way that they can ingest And we take that then on the placement side all the way through to the binding piece. And then what we also do is we do endorsements, post-bind activities, and we've even built out this audit report functionality for brokers. Again, the post-placement work of filing all the emails and saving all the documents into the shared folder, we automate a lot of that as well. So really starting at the very, very beginning of the data preparation and taking it all the way through the post-placement work audits and doing endorsements and things like that. And the key there is that the sedent themselves are plugged into the system and they're the ones getting that original data in without brokers having to rekey it, that kind of thing. Yeah, they can do it or their brokers can do it with them or on their behalf. But you're right. Essentially, how do we get to the point where when you collect the premiums from four or five different offices that you can turn around sort of rolling that all up in less than a week or two. And condensing that back and forth window where the client prepares a lot of that data, they send it to the broker. The broker who then goes and redoes all that work to identify errors. So it takes the broker a week to do the work. They come back with questions. The client redoes the work, another week delay. So every communication point in that early stage is sort of with a week lag time. And what they can do with our technology now is condense that down to in real time, seeing anomalies or confirming that data is accurate and everything's up to date, not needing to confirm whether someone's made a, an equation error in Excel or similar. So let's just run through a typical placement. Run us through that so we can really visualize how it's going to work. Yeah, so I'll start with the existing process. And it starts with that. The seated re team will ask all of their individual teams to bring them the updated data for this year. And so begins this data aggregation process, which, as I mentioned, takes several months to sort of get to finalized data. Once the data pack with the broker is confirmed and the base structure set out, the broker then fires up the emails and the spreadsheets and starts messaging all the different counterparties. And very little has changed since we've both done the role. But you have it where the brokers are in the office quite late at night mostly because they're moving, double-checking that they've gotten all the emails in and they're moving that data over to the spreadsheets before they can prepare the updates for the clients. And this is back and forth for the, you know, the sort of six weeks of a renewal season. And then once the deals, all the authorizations come in, again, the brokers fire up email and they send out all the signings one at a time in this really cumbersome process. On some of my larger placements of 70, 50, 60, 70 markets, it can be a half day's work just to issue signings. And as programs are getting larger and more complex, this is just compounding. So this is, it's getting worse in a lot of ways. And what our tool does is, so the analytics piece condenses the data preparation down just to a couple of weeks by preparing all the exhibits and things in real time. And then what we do with the placement platform is we've built all the component parts directly in-house. So you have 
the file sharing, the messaging, the placement tracking for quotes and quote comparison, the receiving of authorizations, addressing subjectivities, and then being able to issue everything and bind the lines right from our platform, as well as then doing the audit piece that I mentioned, which again is probably another month's worth of work for the broking teams to finally get all the emails filed and stored away to meet their compliance needs. So we've very much taken this holistic approach of what are all the component parts and how do we just radically improve that? And then I think to add to that, maybe the underwriter perspective, so you, you can hear from what Jared's described, how this makes a broker's life you know, so much easier and makes the student's life so much easier. One of the real pain points, both on the ground, but also at a sort of more executive or, or strategic level for the reinsurers is this, what does business development look like for one one and uh, for any other renewal season? And um, that's a whole extra topic of conversation, current conditions where we can't be flying around the world and going to conferences. I remember speaking to and, and being one of the underwriters who is forced to be so reactive and not at all proactive when it comes to new business. You know, you, you literally sit at your desk or sit at your box, wait for emails to come in or wait for opportunities to come to you and then sort of sift through them and decide what you want. It's almost like you're sat staring at your front door letterbox and hoping for good news. I think there was a real opportunity looking around the world outside of insurance and reinsurance to create more of a online network where these deals could be broadcast effectively, or at least even before that, a relationship potential could be broadcast. We're a very much a relationships industry, and that's hugely important. You know, trust is fundamental to so everything we do. We're selling a, a promise to pay, and you need trust for that to ever stand a chance. But we don't give ourselves much of a chance as an industry to build new relationships outside of the pure chance that you bumped into the right people at a conference or you happen to befriend somebody down the line as, as you might do here in here in London. But we saw opportunities from all across other industries, whether it's things like right move was one of the examples we used to use a lot, where rather than you as the person looking to buy a house, go wandering around the streets and peering into estate agents' windows, being able to actually look on a aggregated platform of all the different estate agents where you could see what was being put out there. And likewise, the agent in that case, not relying on having to put an ad in their shop window and hoping that the right buyer happens to walk past their shop window. You see similar things you know, all over, whether it's Deliveroo or whether it's Booking.com or Skyscanner. You know, this online network platform type approach is ubiquitous in everywhere except reinsurance, it seems. There's almost, you're describing as almost like a social network type effect where if the broker, for example, is short on a program, you could almost broadcast that to the whole network to say, by the way, anybody got any spare aggregate in Israel or whatever, I've got a big property quote to share, anybody interested, I presume brokers are going to be totally in control of who can see what or a reinsurer of the other side could be saying, you know what, my aggregate appetite in this area is I'm really into Israeli aggregate this week. Anybody got any? That's exactly the route we're going down. So I think it's really important coming from the industry. I think others outside the industry may have missed this, but we're not going to jump all of a sudden to everything is a free-for-all and you can put a deal out there and you don't care which reinsurer writes it. Of course not. We know that clients are incredibly picky about who they want to share their business with. Likewise, brokers want control over what that panel is going to look like and who their relationships are going to be. But even with the people that you do know, it's helpful to be kept up to date of their appetite as it changes. And if they're maintaining a profile on the network, they can be saying, hey, everyone, I'm looking for X type of opportunity or we have excess retro capacity that we're looking to deploy. Is anybody got, got something that we could put that towards? 
Uh, and likewise, as you said, for a broker, we have built into our network the opportunity to publish previews of risks to the markets so that you can give underwriters who are browsing the opportunity to say, oh, that looks interesting. I'd like to request a look at that deal because it might be something that's for me. So it's a very much balancing, as always, with our proposition, the traditional and important parts of this process, the people, the relationships, but trying our best to automate the boring bits and the bits that nobody wants to spend their time running around to manage uh, late at night during the middle of renewals. So it's about bringing people together in, in slightly different ways and, and using the actual potential network effect that you've got inside. Let's look at your business model. Reading your literature, trading is free on the platform. So what is your revenue model? Or is it one of those things where you, it's all going to be free for the first few years and then suddenly you get us all addicted and then just suddenly make prices appear from nowhere? No, we fundamentally believe that the placement platform should be available for everyone, regardless of firm size or where they're located, et cetera. And, and this comes from looking at historical platform efforts. It was the sort of, could you afford to buy into B3i is a current example, or historically it was connector. It was always sort of like, if you were big enough, you could have this tech. And when we looked at this industry, which is truly global and connected across a huge array of products and geographies and things, and if we thought there was an opportunity for us to build up an, an infrastructure that didn't require boots on the ground in every office, how do we bring all of those people together? How do we make it super easy for a reinsurer in London or Zurich or Singapore to access deals from around the world? And likewise, brokers who have a couple key clients in their local geography and want to access more capacity. And so for us, making the placement platform and the network entirely free builds that human liquidity in a lot of ways where those individuals can connect and trade and find the right counterparts. So that's a fundamental belief that we have in, in how we bring this industry together there. This past year, we brought on our chief actuarial officer, Paul Bassan, who's been instrumental in helping us build out our analytics proposition, the tool that helps prepare automatically all the submission data and things there. And we charge brokers and seedants to utilize that tool and to build these data packs. And we'll continue to add additional elements of value that we think the industry broadly benefits from, but they'll always be as optional things. So if you think this new thing that we've rolled out is helpful to you as you look at portfolio optimization or pricing or contract building or whatever those things might look like, they'll always be additive and you can buy as much or as few of those things as you'd like. But the need for this sort of centralized placement platform and the network that accompanies it to be free is central to our business model. So it's all about the add-ons. It could be any number of tools, aggregation tools or cap modeling or anything, I presume. It's a, exactly, it's a, yeah. So it's always going to be free. We can make that commitment now that you're not getting into something that then suddenly is going to cost you later. It's free. You can still use the free version whenever you want. Yeah, the free version around placements will be free, yes. Okay, excellent. Full commitment here on The Voice of Insurance. I suppose for me, a big question whenever I talk to people who are building electronic exchanges in, in the insurance sphere, and it's always the almost the elephant in the room question for me. The stumbling block has often been brokers, broker adoption, broker fear, usually fear about losing control of the process. And obviously, you've both got experience working at brokers. I'm sure you must have thought about this and thought about this really deeply. So what, what are you doing to reassure brokers, to encourage them to use the platform and to convince them that you're not there to disintermediate them or to be a threat to their business at all? Yeah, and I think this differentiates us from some of the other players in this space is we fundamentally believe the role the broker plays is an important one. And everything that we do is sort of centralized around where the broker value add lies. And if you think about it within our platform already, you have 
the seed broker interaction around analytics and you have the broker underwriter interaction around the placement piece. But there's always this piece where what we wanted to do is really streamline the ability for the broker to add their value and support both their clients as well as their reinsurers and their markets on aligning the right deals. But going back to the broker adoption piece, which I think you're right, has been a stumbling block historically. One of the reasons we've done this, and you kindly made a comment on LinkedIn around the free model helps to really drive some of that adoption and makes it quite obvious of, we know the industry is going to go towards electronic placing. We should be looking at this and we wanted to present ourselves as the default option for all of these brokers. But if we think about it more philosophically, I think broker adoption was always sort of seen as, oh, we need A on that, or we need Guy Carpenter. And all these previous platform efforts were designed around winning those organizations. And we think about it as broker adoption being the, the broker who's placing the business. When you look at these previous platform attempts, you've seen mandates being introduced, right? The big broking firms build in-house and they mandate their brokers have to use it. Lloyd's builds PPL and they mandate usage And I think that's because they've always started with the data objective first, and then they say, oh, we'll get this firm involved. And what we want to have is the actual broker who's doing the work benefits and prefers this way. And so we think about broker adoption as to how do we get those individuals to feel that their life is easier using this tool? And I think historically efforts were so much focused on how do we optimize the data for MIBI or to sell down the chain or something else? that the user experience has been the afterthought. And we've put the actual brokers, the actual underwriters at the very center of our proposition. And with them, we'll get their organizations and things. But if we don't get those individuals to want to use the platform, then the concept falls. We don't want to go into a, we have to be mandated within a firm. We want to build, and we are building the solution that people want to use and they want to be a part of because it's making so many parts of their life easier. Well, you've partially answered my next question, which is that observation that the bigger the broker, the more likely it is to have its own platform of some description. Also, the bigger the reinsurer that might also have its own platform. How are you going to coax those users into trying something new? Is it really going to be down to that individual user experience? No one ever got mandated to use Facebook. They just use it because it was easy to use and, and a good way of keeping in touch with your friends. Exactly. And that's actually a brilliant example that we've, we've often considered in the past in the sense that you know if you, if you imagine trying to do facebook backwards it'd be very entertaining but like dear customer please enter your advertising preferences here and one day we'll deliver you some wonderful networking services uh, i can't imagine it having quite the success that it had otherwise you raise a good point i think i think as, as much as we need to win the hearts and minds of the brokers and underwriters on the ground as, as jared said we also have to provide a operational case that makes sense to these big firms. We have to provide a strategic case that makes sense. And and a lot of it, as all of this project has been for us, is about carefully managing incentives and making sure that all of the different parties in the chain feel like as a result of introducing this new technology, we will be better off and we will not be at a disadvantage all of a sudden to either a competitor or one of the other value chain players being able to maintain that really careful balance between, okay, how do we bring in this tech, which is going to make everybody on the ground's life so much easier. It's going to give much better data to everybody involved, but it's not going to lead to a scenario where somebody has materially lost some advantage they perceive themselves to have. So for example, if you're a very, very big breaker, you have huge amounts of data resource, which are very valuable to you that you can either use internally or monetize. So you need a way 
to make sure you're still going to get that data back if you're using a third-party solution, but equally you're not going to then let that data run wild so that all of your competitors use it. So again, all of our MI and BI is built in such a way where you're getting your data back and getting to see your view of the world contextualized within this bigger marketplace. It's little decisions like that, I think, which need to give people the reassurance and the comfort that they can step into a fundamentally better environment that's going to break down these barriers and these fragmentations that make being an underwriter a real pain when otherwise you have to log in to all these different platforms and translate things from one broker's format of doing things into your internal workbench. The only way that we're going to get around that is really by making sure that all the different parties are happy. And I think there is a burning platform as well in the sense that not only are the existing platforms that have been built a bit challenged in terms of the reception they've had, both internally and externally by the parties that are trying to use them. But they're also very expensive, very expensive to build. We've, I think initially it started as a brag, but it's moved away from that now as to how much had been spent on building these, these technology systems. But we're at a point now where operations teams and, and leaders are looking at these ongoing maintenance bills and seeing how much they're going to cost and thinking, is this really worth us continuing to invest? Some of the feedback we've had from some of the big brokers has been, this trade-off now of adoption where, okay, we've managed to get to the point where people are actually engaging with it, but because they're engaging with it, they're now spotting all the things they didn't tell us when we first architected it around how it would actually be more useful to them. And it's creating change requests that are going to cost us millions. You know, if we actually now have to convert version one of our placing platform into one that actually helps these guys and doesn't make their job harder we're effectively going to have to spend the same again to twist it into that that new shape now that they're finally starting to get maybe a little bit of engagement from some of these brokers so there's a huge trade-off that they're now having to make between do we continue to pour money into this thing which adds no competitive advantage to them whatsoever and, and actually causes everyone a headache and makes their reinsurance partners actually quite annoyed at them for making them do it or can they embrace something that's independent, importantly, so something that doesn't have any ownership. We've been very careful about not taking any investment from anyone's competitors or anyone's peers. So we're totally independent in that respect and someone that they're going to be able to see other parties joining them in adopting in the same way that, you know, at some point in the past, the market decided to adopt computers and to adopt email after that. You know, we're hoping that this next step of infrastructure is going to give people the chance to all adopt something without losing out competitively. When they're looking at either spending 50 million on their own thing and with ongoing 20 million a year of uh, maintenance versus free, I suppose it is quite a simple business decision to make, particularly when your only job is to make that system work really well and be really, really user-friendly. E-platforms, do you think they're a winner-takes-all type game? Is this why you're marketing quite aggressively? I think for P&C reinsurance, it is. For the broader insurance industry, there's possibly a variety of options that happen because it's so nuanced. But for PNC reinsurance, we believe that's the case. We don't hold a unique position there. I think when you looked at previous efforts of Connect and RI3K and in Inrion and Pre, you know, there was always this: oh, if we get one of the big brokers or we get Swiss and Munich to back us, that will get the rest of the market to go here. And, and I think you're even seeing that same approach being taken with B3I going. How do we get this to be the platform that everyone in the industry operates on? So we share what has historically been seen as broadly this winner-takes-all market. And I think the other reason for reinsurance that makes sense is because of its global diversification. 
like a London centric platform won't work because London comprises just a small element of global reinsurance. So there needs to be something that everyone can coalesce around. And anytime you see that reliance on network effects, where it's like everyone benefits from being in the same place, you always see the emergence of sort of one fairly dominant player. That's not to say that you won't see adjacencies if maybe the ILW or the cat bond space are similar. There's definitely a variety of solutions that our industries come up with. And I think the reinsurance space is incredibly innovative. You know, I think it gets a bad rap sometimes for less of that being technological innovation. But I think around product innovation, there's so much happening here. So there might always be spaces of ILWs or these different products that people come up that are serviced elsewhere. But as far as the sort of traditional core PNC reinsurance, we very much believe it's the winner take all market. And we talk a lot to the underwriters and from their perspective, this sort of emerging potential fragmentation is their worst nightmare. They want to build and they have budgets to build APIs and plug in their pricing tools. And they have this vision of automation around putting their quotes out or the like. And if they're looking at a world where it's like, well, there's 14 or 15 or 30 different systems that collapses back on them and they're left doing things the same old way where each broker has this new efficient way. So for us to sit in in the middle there, I think that pursuit of a winner takes all platform benefits the underwriters as much as it benefits the brokers. For example, other platforms are working around auction and that kind of stuff. Do you think if you're the core, you could plug into the auction type systems on the side, for example? Yeah, there's definitely opportunities for us to sort of plug into other types of technology. I think some of those solutions that we've seen, they have some really impressive tech behind them. And I, and I like what they're trying to do and the way they solve certain things. The way we framed our approach was always to support everything. And again, we designed it so it was global, agnostic to product, agnostic to line of business. Because again, if you want to pursue this ability to trade all types of reinsurance in one place, it couldn't be a, well, this works nice for insert product X. It, it always had to be something that was flexible enough to support everything. And certain models, auction being one of them, lend itself much better to certain types of products than to others. So we needed to start with being more widely supportive before taking those additional steps. In many ways, you're part of this revolution of standardizing that data, getting that really core information into a system. And I suppose that's at its absolute heart, that's what you're doing. We're on the cusp of reforms in the industry around global insurance data standards. What's your view on how they should be developing? Yeah, it's a really good question. But I think conceptually, there's a bit of room to think about it a bit differently as well. We've very much thought about them as standards historically that that's been the word we will all do things by the same according to this standard but i think in a way those standards have moved too slowly to actually keep up with the change that's been taking place we've seen things like cyber emerging we've seen all sorts of new products popping up that require slightly different ways of thinking we've seen as would always have been the case especially in reinsurance the continuous creativity of the people who work in our industry and in creating exciting and new ways of structuring and building very bespoke contracts. And so trying to say this is the standardized, commoditized way that we should trade going forwards, I think, is a really challenging thing for the industry to adopt as a whole. When you look at it, for example, as another case study from the blockchain angle, I think they, they worked out when they were trying to do a simple excessive loss contract. That was the most complex 
thing that had ever been done, I think, according to that type of blockchain approach in that instance. But again, that has to be codified to such an extent that it actually inhibits some of the creativity that we really want brokers and underwriters to be able to let loose and to continue to be more and more creative with technology. So as a alternative to standards, I think a practice actually that Lloyd's has done internally quite a lot within the Lloyd's market in the past is to look at minimum requirements and to really focus around how do we work out what the shared baseline is of firstly minimum product standards if we're going to be using digital products that need to conform to particularly information security needs, which is front of mind for us all of the time. And those minimum requirements, I think, can be set by different institutions in different areas in such a way that they're not constraining our ability as an industry to keep on evolving and to keep on building new products. The world is going to be a very different place. And if we try to standardize based on the world that was, I think we're going to very quickly find out that we're going to be issuing new versions all the time. And I think there's room on those minimum requirements then to be continuously iterating. Well, you've built a reinsurance platform. What do you think, as pioneers in in electronic trading, what do you think are the prospects for really full e-trading completely across right the way through the insurance marketplace, through the insurance value chain? Or do you think it's something that's far too complicated to attempt? You've just been wise to bite off a discrete element, which is uh, reinsurance. Yeah, so the insurance sort of play, the the wider e-placement pieces is incredibly interesting because they've had similar types of findings, I think, to us in our space, which is it's very helpful to have a spark in the sense of the engaged customer at the end. So in the reinsurance space, for example, brokers and, and reinsurers need some way of trading better, but the only person who can really hold them accountable for doing so is the client who's complaining about the ridiculous expense ratio and the lack of good data that's being provided back to them, et cetera. We saw a very similar sort of case study with the Mask platform, the InsureWave platform that was created directly to respond to the fact that you had you know, a client that was unhappy with the level of service that they were getting from the market. And so something was built to facilitate a better exchange of data and interaction between the brokers and insurers that were working with them. Trying to get the full flow through, I guess, and aligning the incentives so that they work right the way through from client to client almost is maybe a little bit more challenging, but I think it's something that certainly will come onto the radar as we go further forwards. We're at the point at the moment where we can, with the analytics tool, help the student understand what's inside its portfolio based on the data that is collected and use that to intelligently prepare and, and buy their reinsurance programs. But now how do we make sure the student can then in turn incentivize their customers to be providing good data in a fairly consistent way that can then be followed through. It gets very interesting again. And, and, and as we've set out in this conversation, we're, we're the, the last ones to ever think about disintermediating. We're very much here to empower the traditional three-party value chain. So it'll be interesting to work out what the incentive matrix might look like to facilitate some of the exciting things you could imagine with end clients, end policyholders, if they're of the right scale, using structures like captives, for example, or using any other kind of vehicle or SPVs to get their risk that's been originated into a way that can be ingested by some kind of fronting insurance entity that then might move onto a broker and then onto the markets. There's a ton of ways that you could imagine that taking place and technology will play a role there. I think for now, though, we're focused very much on seedant broker reinsurer. Let's get that bit right and then see where around the fringes we can 
facilitating those other movements too. We've seen lots of initiatives in algorithmic underwriting. So where do you think, once everything's fully digitised, where do you think this is going to lead the market? What's it going to look like in about 10 years' time? This, to me, is probably one of the most exciting areas and one that really highlights the way we're already tackling some parts of this, the necessity around that. So algorithmic trading, especially for reinsurance, if all you're given is the placement without the digital underlying structure and the underlying data behind it being digitized, you can't really do it. There's not enough to say it's these three layers with these reinstatements. Like that's not enough. You need to be able to sort of say, okay, what are the underlying premiums do? What are the underlying losses do? What are the underlying data do? So for it to be truly algorithmic in that sense, it needs the sort of digital backbone first. And that's more than just the placement data, which is what we've already set out to do. But when I look at the things that we can do there, it's super exciting because it allows us to look at the underlying components, which are universally true. So every reinsurer is going to see that data and that sort of structure, but they'll have their own view of what that looks like. So they can write their own pricing structures. And we're working again with our chief actuarial officer, Paul, around things like this. But I know there's other players also in this space, but they can have their own view of risk differ, but they're getting all the underlying pieces in a consistent and structured way. And I think where this goes is a few things. I think one, the role of the active underwriter will begin to evolve. If we can say this risk is 98% in appetite or this price is, we're more than happy with this price for this particular piece of business because of this portfolio impact and, and all these other components, the ability to auto-bind those and not have, or auto-authorize those and not have to, to do any additional work. And then the role of the active underwriter shifts more upstream a little bit where they're involved in looking at going, okay, would we make an exception here? Do we want to invest in this long-term client relationship? Does us writing this unlock something? Does us growing our line size here? You know, and they're, they're, they're asking more strategic high-level questions. I think the other thing that's really exciting and, and Ben alluded to it earlier in the conversation around the ability with this in mind for reinsurers to look more strategically outwards. So there's no longer this reliance of, I'm going to go around and tell everyone what I want and network and network and network in hopes that when I get back to my desk, I get the right submissions and being able to reach outwards, change your portfolio strategy and deploy some algorithmic underwriting around that to automatically say, yep, if I do this, I would happily increase my line size somewhere else or I'd happily bind a diversifying risk elsewhere. It opens up a huge amount of possibilities there. I think what we're trying to do is build a framework that allows the industry to be as innovative as it is. So if we make some of these things much easier and much more integratable, if you will, then the industry can say, oh, our strategy now is to do all of these cool things and deploy these really creative strategies or structure things in a better way because the underlying data is so consistent. We understand what it is better now. So what we're trying to do is almost use our technology to unleash the innovation that the industry already has that they're almost being handcuffed by the fact that they need to rekey so much that they're unable to do things that they're already thinking about, right? And you've had a number of super interesting guests talking about what if we no longer have treaties, we just seed everything onto an immediate facultative, fact everything out on little program. Like, there's so many cool things that we can do 
if we first get this next step right. So we're very much looking at going, how do we build a framework so that that innovation can happen? So it's 10 years is a long time, but at the same time, you've seen our industry do very little in that same window historically. So it could go a lot of different ways. You're just going to give people the open playing field and they can work out what sports they want to play on it. Exactly. What about you yourselves as company founders? What's your game plan with Supersede? Are you sort of buy and build and sell it type entrepreneurs? Or is this something for you? Is this sort of like a vocational thing that you want to be doing forever until you retire and supersede forever? It's a good question. It's an important one, I think, for founders. For us, we really love this space. When we first met doing strategy consulting for this niche reinsurance strategy team, it's a fascinating part of the industry. And we love the fact that we get to do our little part now and and push this innovation forward. Both ourselves and our investors are taking a a long-term view of where this all goes and how this all plays out. And it's also important to remind the audience that we take our independence incredibly seriously. So we don't look at like, oh, and this is when Aon buys us. So this is when Swiss Re buys us or, or whatever that might look like. So it changes what exits look like for us in some degree. So we're very much taking this longer term vision when our investors are supporting that as to how do we make an impact in this space? And it's something that will play itself out over the next decade or longer. I've come to the end of my questions. Maybe I think I should leave it to you, Jared and Ben, to give the listeners a bit of a, a final parting shot. What should they take away from this discussion we've had? And what can they do when they finish listening? What should they do? So the easiest way to get involved is to join our network. So if you're a broker or an underwriter, you can join the Superseed network, create a profile, set your appetite and start finding other people who are on there. We're not too close to any renewal seasons just yet. So you can probably get in time for one fours and beyond. And then from there, brokers will be able to find you. If you're an underwriter, underwriters, you'll be able to start seeing risks pop up in the marketplace. And then you'll start to be able to benefit from our placements tools as well. And if you're a sedent, don't worry, you're not left out either. As we mentioned, we've got this wonderful analytics suite for you to start getting all of your renewals preparations done in a couple of days instead of what seems like three months for many people. So all in all, analytics, placements and network, we're here for you and uh, here to try and take away the pain that we experienced ourselves and wouldn't wish upon anyone, let alone our favorite people, reinsurance people. I would just add that Superseed is open to all, but exclusive to reinsurance. We recognize that this global network can't be restricted to one broker or one underwriter, certain products or geographies. So as people come in, this diversity of practitioners from around the world is super exciting. And we're already seeing users sign up from South Africa and Australia, Italy, the Middle East, the US, Canada. So really exciting global traction already. And we're really excited to watch how this global community begins to come together in this sense. Excellent. Jared and Ben, thank you so much for giving us a real grand tour of Superseed and really good luck with what you're doing. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thank you indeed. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.